Welcome into this edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex, who is reporting from the wonderfully named Virginia Water in England. We'll get into this week's BMW PGA Championship, where 18 live members are teeing it up alongside some of the best in the world, like Rory and John Rahm. Plus, we'll break down the captain's picks for the U.S. and International President's Cup teams, which were finalized this week. But first, the new Chrome Soft golf balls from Callaway are better for the best and better for everyone. This new family is available in Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, and Chrome Soft XLS. Each of these golf ball offerings incorporates the company's proprietary new precision technology for the tightest dispersions, consistently fast ball speeds, and total performance. And of course, they deliver the soft, responsive feel and control that players love. These new golf balls are available now. You can head over to KellawayGolf.com to see which Chrome Soft is right for you. Rex, we have a ton to get into this week. Uh, but first, I do have a confession to make and a follow-up uh, to the cliffhanger that I left you all with uh, on last week's podcast. So for the first time since the Monday after the Masters, uh, I played golf. Uh, I played well. Uh, I actually played really well, shot one over and missed eight, count them, eight birdie putts inside 15 feet. This could have been stupid, like career low type stuff, absolute flush rockets out there. However, and this is a big point, I played well with your decade old rocket balls irons that have, and I'm, I'm, I'm shuddering just saying this. They have a regular flex shaft on them. I'm 35 years old. I'm somewhat fit and strong. Uh, I swing pretty fast. You and I have played together. And I've always thought of regular flex shafts to be for someone like you, uh, who is not young, uh, who is somewhat fit uh, but not particularly strong, and who swings the golf club uh, pretty slowly. Um, this feels like a, a midlife crisis, uh, and I'm hoping that you can um, provide some counsel for me. I'm going to need those irons back uh, because, as you pointed out, I do swing very slowly. And actually, I just ordered a new three wood, a Callaway three wood, and I was going through you trying to fit you. I actually did order it and I was going through trying to figure out what I wanted. And I went with the regular shaft. I'm like, I'm, I'm not even going to kid myself anymore. Like this is, isn't even worth it. And I don't know why you are going to, well, two things. One, I'm happy that you shot a good round because I really am. I'm legitimately happy when a friend of mine has Fifth a round day. of the year. Fifth yes. round of the year. Haven't played Fifth in round. five Whether months. it's on the golf course or, or you're hanging out with your family, whatever the case may be, I am legitimately happy for you. So when you texted me the other day with, I, I think it was, the number of what you scored, and then it was suck it, and then a bad word. And my response was, well, congratulations. I, could be. Why the attitude? Why, why am I getting the toot? Like, why? Why The tone. Like, just bring the tone down. Just be happy that you shot that score. You know how Brooks Kepka used to show up to majors with, like, a chip on his shoulder? <laughs> and, like, he was just. Used to. He was, he was you know, he, he was just fueled with hate. That's, that's me now when I, when I step out onto, onto the golf course. Like, I need all these little chips. I need, I need to be playing golf with a vengeance. And, and the haters have been talking. Um, talk about how I've, how I've fallen off 
uh, talk about how I don't have the game that I used to. And, and quite frankly, I just, I just needed to, I, I needed to, I needed to show, I needed to show them uh, that even at this advanced age, I, I can still produce. I don't. So I, I did a little research, Rex, and it, I don't think I've ever actually tested my swing speed with an iron. Everyone just goes into the simulator, right, and just bashes away on driver. And you may, you may hit it good, you may not hit it good, and you get fitted, and then the next day it probably doesn't fit your swing anymore. I don't think I've ever tested an iron, but you should have a regular flex shaft, apparently, if you swing below 90 miles an hour. Sure. 90 okay. miles an hour doesn't seem that slow. So maybe uh, I do fall into this category because you wouldn't swing an iron as quick as, as fast as you swing a driver, obviously. Well, like I've run into this problem before because like you and I are friends with, with tour reps. And, but so when you go to one of these vans at, at a tour event, there's all kinds of goodies. It's like if you're kind of a, if you're an equipment geek, it's snacks Christmas. too. You, you really snacks. can't underestimate the snacks. Snacks, food. I mean, it's, it, these things are plush. They're two stories now. Like they've gotten out of control. But it's like Christmas every day if, you, if you're a golf geek. However, I went in, in just a few weeks ago and I needed – uh, I have a son who apparently just likes to break clubs or, or shafts. I don't know why, but he's broken more shafts in the last year than I've broken in my entire life. So I had to go in and get another one. And I, I tried to use the one that they gave me. I thought it was something similar, not even close. There's no way I, I would be better off trying to chop down a tree using this golf shaft. than I would trying to hit a driver. Like I'm never going to be able to hit this and I'm sure it cost a fortune. And, but my, my response was well, probably a $400 was, shaft. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just gave it to my son. I'm like, here, you, you have fun with this. You break this one. Don't, don't break mine, the regular cheap one off the shelf. Break this one. Get rid of this one. I mean, shafts are the most, to me, underreported, underestimated, overlooked aspect of golf equipment. If, if you do not have the right shaft, and whether it's a driver or whether it's an iron, clearly, you, you, you cannot hit a golf ball where you were intending. You cannot do it. Uh, and so I came away uh, as bullish as I've ever been about my prospects. Uh, I may even sign up for next year's uh, U.S. Mid Amateur, uh, but I am a little bit spooked, Rex, by the fact that uh, with your decade-old irons that have a regular 85-gram shaft, uh, I was striking my irons uh, better than I ever have in my entire life. I am absolutely spooked by that. Uh, anyone else uh, wants to climb into my mentions and explain this to me, uh, I would be more than happy and willing to listen to that. As I mentioned at the top, this podcast is not about my golf game, although we probably it, should. It feels back like it was going at, real, at, at some, that at some really point, quickly. Uh, Keith Pelly did not uh, grant me a sponsor exemption into this week's BMW PGA. Although with the type of game that I now possess, uh, I feel like I could have been competitive. Rex, this has been billed, uh, perhaps incorrectly, uh, as a contentious showdown between the establishment uh, i.e. Roy McIlroy, and I would call them uh, the Live Renegades, uh, led, I, I would say, by Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, and Ian Poulter. What has the energy, what has the atmosphere been like on the grounds at Wentworth as these two sides seem to be colliding? I don't think there's any doubt that it's been contentious this week, and it, it, it's very real. Like, I mean, we're not trying to manufacture that. I've gotten a lot of that on social media over the last couple of days. Trust me when I tell you, like, we, what the players are telling us is not manufactured. This is real. This is go online right now and look at Billy Horschel and Ian Poulter talking to each other today on the putting green. And it's not. Billy, and Billy said that Ian Poulter is like one of his better friends. 
Yes. Yes. And I, I texted Billy and, and he texted me back just just trying to get an idea. Like, please tell me that this wasn't it's one thing to be contentious. And, and I, I was taken on Monday when I arrived at Wentworth as I was walking by the clubhouse. The first thing I saw was Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter and Billy Horschel in front of the clubhouse having a conversation, which seemed like bizarro world to me because this was where this was supposed to be ground zero. Sorry to use that term. But this is where the two sides were supposed to come together. This is where Liv Goff and the PGA Tour and those who are loyal to the establishment, as they like to use as we weaponize phrases, were going to go head to head. Now, it it seems a little silly in retrospect because there's been Liv Goff players in the majors, certainly at the Scottish Open last month. This isn't the first time, but this is the first time in mass. 18 Liv Goff players, to whatever extreme, are in the field this week at Wentworth and it does become personal and I'll go to look Rory has been very outspoken about this I don't think we need to revisit anything he said today or anything he said at Eastlake he's been very very clear Billy Horschel has been very very outspoken about how he feels about this and the other side Lee Westwood Ian Poulter have been clear as well the one that stands out to me as I've talked spoken with players this week was John Rahm and we both know John he's not he has pledged his fealty to the PGA Tour yeah. Got it. Yes, I see the smile no, on your face. I got it. Nailed it. However, it's not as though he's out there beating the drum like Rory or Billy or some of the other players. Like he's he's very understated when it comes to it. This week it became very personal for him. And and it was a really good interview I thought he gave yesterday, explaining that it's one thing, and this is where I, I found things fascinating this week. On the PGA tour on and in the US, it's it's very, very clear cut. If you go and play a live event, you're suspended, you're done, you're persona non grata, you're you're exiled, whatever the case may be. Over here, it's layered, where you have certain players who have gone and played one live event, who have decided it's not for them, and they're going to go back to the DP World Tour. Lerazbal being the primary example. He played one. Not for them, or their contract wasn't extended. Could be. Well, whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be. And because of the gray area that we have over here on the DP World Tour, he's a lot back into the family in this particular week. When you hear John Rom talking about the players in the field from live, he'll point to the Lee Westwood and Sergio Garcia, who is clearly a good friend and a hero of John's, but Ian Poulter as well. These are guys that he looks at as having supported this tour for decades. They've played this event for decades. Therefore, regardless of what you think about them or what they did with Liv Goff, they still have a place here right now where things got very, very personal is the Taylor Gooches and the Abe Answers, who are playing here for the first time, and they're only playing here to get world ranking points. And they're only trying to take advantage of a loophole. And for John, it became very personal because he had a good friend, plays on the European tour, that was kind of the first guy out. So therefore, he was denied a spot in the European tour's biggest event because of what he sees as very selfish behavior. And he was very articulate and outspoken about this. It's very real. We're not manufacturing this. It does seem like there's two categories, and one might even be a subcategory. Now, Jason Kokrak and I think even Kevin Na have caught some strays this week. They are not in the field. They're not this in the field. At the, at the yeah. BMW PGA. As is Martin Keimer. Martin Keimer also withdrew. So the, the players, as, as you mentioned, who it certainly sounds like from the interviews and, and reading the reports uh, from some of the uh, British writers, that every player is against being in the field this week are Abe Anser and Taylor Gooch, who have zero reason to tee it up this week other than chasing world ranking points and trying to finish the year inside the top 50, which would exempt them for the Masters and kind of keep them afloat, uh, depending on how they play, what other events uh, they um, 
uh, are entered into next spring in order to try and qualify for the PGA and the U.S. Open uh, and the Open Championship, top 50, top 60. It kind of varies based on the major championship. I, I don't sense, though, Rex, that there's a consensus with the other category, and that is the established player, the, the, the player like Lee Westwood, who has supported the uh, European Tour, now DP World Tour, for the past quarter century. John Rahm, it almost sounds like, is in the minority of players who would like to see them brought back in the fold in some way, some sort of resolution reached to allow them to be part of the Ryder Cup. Roy McIlroy, I was struck by his comments uh, when he spoke at his press conference on Wednesday, uh, basically say he really doesn't have much of a relationship with those guys anymore. And they have been uh, friends, if not close friends, for the past decade plus. Where's your sense, Rex, on how these top players are feeling towards the older guard, the, the guys who are basically playing just to stay relevant, to continue to use this platform, even though they are endlessly criticizing the direction of the DP World Tour. Now, John Rahm is an interesting character because in this particular case, you're right, he does seem to have a soft spot for those older players. Now, I'll even take it one step further. He's got a soft spot for one player. He wants to play with Sergio Garcia next year at the Ryder Cup because he thoroughly enjoyed that experience last year at Whistling Straits. That's where he that, that's a full stop right there for him. And he's been very, very clear on that. And, and I get it. However, when it comes to Lee Westwood or Ian Poulter, you're seeing a divergence of opinions, even when it comes to them. I think Eddie Pepperell probably has been the most outspoken, at least on social media, when it comes to Lee chose to take the money and he chose to go to live golf. And I think everyone is under the same mindset that look, you, everyone had the right to do this and, and go do you fill your boots. As they say over here, the part that gets everyone that gets the Eddie Pepperells of the world is then Lee starts to become very, very critical. And I think it boiled over last week at East Lake when Lee started saying that the PGA tour was copying live golf and, and maybe they are on certain areas. But at that point, I think there is a consensus that look, you've walked away. Just walk away and be done with it. It, it was funny during his press conference today, uh, DP World Tour CEO Keith Pelly actually referenced Louis Oosthuizen, mm-hmm. who, who talked about when Louis walked away. And he goes, we had conversations about it. I tried to talk him out of it. I said I didn't agree with it, but I respect your opinion. Couldn't have handled it better. He had nothing but respect for Louis and said that when he walked away, he gave him a phone call and says, I'm resigning my membership. I'm never going to try to come back. I just want to let you know that I do respect the tour, that this is what I think is best for me. I think everyone would be under the same mindset that, okay, we can all agree that that's, that's acceptable. Like in the current landscape that we're in, that that way to handle it is acceptable. What's not acceptable is you have lawsuits and you have players essentially suing other players. You have players sniping at each other on social media. And that's where we find ourselves right now. I was taken by the fact I, I, when I flew here Sunday night, I, I, was, I sat next to kind of a humble brag here, or maybe it's not. I sat next to Jay Monahan on the plane and it was, it, it no, because, it, because you're in first class. It's okay. You could, you could say it. That's the, yeah, that was the humble brag part. Not that I was sitting next to Jay Monahan. I mean, that goes without saying, but it, and it was awkward to the extreme because I mean, obviously the situation that we're in right now, <laughs> I mean, first of all, you're three cocktails deep. You're just Probably. about to, you're just about to pop your blue okay. bombers. Who like, who, who knows what's about to go down over the next hour. And then you see the commission and then the commission comes sidling in and we start doing small talk. But then about an hour into the flight, I realized that all I want like, I don't want to go any deeper than this. I just want to do small talk. I want to talk about the Jaguars and why he's wearing this weird hoodie and it doesn't seem to fit him. Right. 
And and so we, we just spent the whole flight not not addressing the elephant in the room, which was in so, when I got off. So when headed? I got off the flight, the one thing that I'm like regretting that if, if had I had an open window and I'd never had the open window, but like I, I would love to know five years from now, and in in his heart of hearts, and in Keith Pelly's heart of hearts, and in Greg Norman's heart of hearts, what's this all going to look like? Because I can't imagine it's going to look like it does right now. Because right now it's fractured and crazy. It is fractured and crazy. That is an incredible uh, humble brag. Again, oh, it gets better. You want me? You want me to finish it? It gets yes, better. Because I, I know. I know exactly how you get heading into these uh, red eye flights. Like I know exactly what goes down, and the look on your face. Oh, it would have been priceless to see you three cocktails deep uh, in first class uh, as Monahan steps on. Oh, this is no fun. Uh, I, and also, I'll say this. So I saw uh, Jay on Tuesday, and we got off the plane in. Uh, I saw him and I said, I, I, I have figured out a way to get over jet lag. Like I have a solution. And he was all ears. Like, please tell me, how do you do it? And I said, get a rental car in the UK, straight from the United States, driving on the other side of the road. That's manual because that's all they had for me. And I said, if that won't keep you awake, then nothing will. <laughs> and so he laughed. And then he told me a story about me. He says, Rex, I, I, haven't, I haven't driven in 20 years. He's never driven over here, by the way. He told me he's never driven in the yes, UK. He has people for that. He has people for that. And the person on Monday night, this is the best part of the story. The person that, that was driving him home from a dinner on Monday night, which I can only imagine how important and how, how many things were being discussed at this dinner. The person that was driving him home on Monday night was Keith Pelley. And they were having a conversation. And he said at one point, Jay looked up and there was headlights coming at him. And at some point, he finally goes, Keith, are you on the right side of the road? And he was not. <laughs> Oh my, that is fantastic. <laughs> so the reason why Monaghan is there is because why? This isn't a PJ Tour event. So why is he there? Uh, strategic Alliance. I mean, I, I think this goes, and Rory probably opened more doors today about that than they probably wanted them to in his press conference when he was talking about 2023 is going to look a lot like 2022 when it comes to schedules, both here and in the United States. 2024, it sounds like it's going down. 2024 is going to be completely different. I think we're going to uproot the system we have right now because Keith, and he said this, he kind of hinted to this in a memo we sent to players last week where they're angling for the same thing the PGA Tour is, and that's fewer events, bigger purses, getting the top players together more often. And I think if both sides are angling for the same thing, and Rory was clear today that whatever it is the Tour is doing with these elevated events, that they have to include some events in Europe. Now, whether that's one event, the Scottish Open is the obvious one, or two or three or four, whatever the case may be, it's going to have to include some sort of version of those co-sanctioned events that we now see. Which I think, which I think, which I think is great. I, I, yeah. I would love to see a 2024 schedule that has some early year stop in Abu Dhabi or Dubai. I think that's a no-brainer to make that a co-sanctioned event. Uh, obviously the Irish open would fall in that category. You can kind of have a, a three week UK swing, right. Uh, culminating with the open championship. It's easy to see the BMW PJ championship becoming a co-sanctioned event. Uh, Rory is playing next week in Italy. Obviously that's, uh, of increased importance, now elevated importance on the DP world tour. And I could even see the season ender in Dubai, uh, also kind of being in that elevated status. ESPN reported last week that the three, or four event international series uh, that the PGA tour had discussed has been tabled for now uh, as the tour shifts its focus uh, to these elevated events 
for 2023 uh, and beyond. But I'm as curious as you are, Rex, to see what that 2024 schedule could look like. I, I think there really is a lot of potential to move this globally and to have something that's, that could be really interesting and exciting for golf fans. I think so too. And as long as it's, it's done correctly. And again, I don't think it, there, there isn't, there's an edge to that on, on this side of the pond, as they say that, look, when you go back to the Scottish open, that there were members of this tour that didn't like giving up spots in what was one of their biggest events. Cause essentially they gave up half the field for the PGA tour, but that's the trade-off. And, and I'll go back 14 of the top 15 in the world. The only player who missed was Rory. Yeah. And I think when you go back to the idea of whatever's happening on the PGA tour, when you have players and James Hahn being the primary example as a, as a former policy board member who push back on the idea of whatever it is the tour is trying to do, they need to consider everybody on the PGA tour. And I've always been a fan of everybody on the PGA tour. I've always been the everyman kind of guy that always thought that the tour and its own bylaws write about, we need to create playing opportunities for all members, not just the best members, but for all members. I think that ship has sailed though. I think what golf needs to do right now is to get its best product and that's its top players and get them together more often playing for bigger purses on good golf courses and wherever that might take us, whether if that's in the United States or in, in Europe or Dubai or whatever the case may be, I don't know that anyone can with any amount of conscience sit here and argue otherwise. There does seem to be a weird game of semantics that's going on. So one of Lee Westwood's main beefs Rex is that, uh, Keith Pelley and the DP World Tour had an opportunity to kind of get in bed with the Saudis and they declined that opportunity. There seems to be some, uh, certainly on the DP World Tour side, some skepticism over some of the reports. He even categorically, categorically denied that there was a $1 billion offer, but Lee Wesson is adamant uh, that uh, the European Tour executives should have made some sort of deal with the Saudis, and that could have kept them afloat. Instead, they entered into the strategic alliance with the PGA Tour, and Westwood's argument is that it has significantly weakened them and demoted them to, if not, um, so certainly not uh, the second-best tour, and perhaps even as low as Sergio Garcia would attest, as the fifth-best tour uh, in professional golf. However, with this strategic alliance uh, beginning, I believe, at the end of next year, you're going to have the top 10 players in the season-long race to Dubai uh, receive PJ Tour cards. So basically the 10 best players on the European Tour are going to be elevated and promoted to the PGA Tour. Westwood's calling it a feeder tour. Uh, Keith Pelley is pushing back that's a feeder tour and said, saying that it is a pathway. W- what does this amount to, Rex? What is, what is the future of the DP World Tour whether it's a pathway, whether it's a feeder tour, like why should players continue to play in these tournaments? This is why I want to cover more events over here, because when the commissioner of your tour spends a good portion of his press conference at the flagship event, the biggest event, talking about a secret meeting in Malta with Saudis, like you're not going to have that in Ponte Vedra. We're never going to have that press conference at TPC Sawgrass. Like no. Monaghan's never going to talk about the secret Malta meeting and what was said and what wasn't said and how much money. Was it a billion or was it 500 million? We don't know. Like we're and never he, going he, to have that press conference. Just think Keith about Pelley it. That's, Keith Pelley said that's not, that's not my presentation to share, but, but if this. Said it wasn't a billion. He didn't say how golf, much it was though. He said it wasn't a billion. Saudi, but if Gulf Saudi ever wanted to, to uh, release that document, it would categorically, pro- categorically prove 
that that was not what was originally offered in that presentation. How has this not leaked from the DP World Tour side? How have they not leaked that document? They still have it in emails. They still have it on. They still have it in text change. Leak that to somebody, and all of a sudden, this entire story goes away. I can tell you that on Tuesday night there was a players' meeting, and this is where the two sides were supposed to go head to head. There was also a meeting on Monday night, which I found interesting because that was more like a financial. You just had to approve the budget. And the only people that really needed to be there were the 10 board members. And of course the membership's invited, but no one ever goes to this thing. You always fill out the proxy form and you let the, you let the tour just vote. Well, it was funny because by all accounts, the live players were flown over here specifically to talk at that meeting on Monday night, but that's really not where they were supposed to talk. It was supposed to be last night at last night's all player meeting. And by all accounts, there was a hundred players in that room last night. And uh, there was about, I was told there was 10 live players and Pelly essentially gave, a speech that lasted about 15 minutes. It was the exact same speech that he gave to start his press conference today. So if, you have, if you're curious what he said, it's right there in the record. And then he opened it up to a Q&A. And there was four questions asked last night at that meeting. Three by Ian Poulter, a live golf player. The fourth was Sergio Garcia, again, a live golf player. I found it fascinating that Sergio's question was the last one. And his question to Keith was, do you want me to play on next year's Ryder Cup team? And Keith's response, by all accounts that I've been given, was it's not up to me to, to decide if you play on next year's Ryder Cup team. And to me, that whole exchange was. In other, Keith, in other words, in other words, it's, it's up to the court. Yes, at this point. And, and he, he sort of removed himself from it because the other questions to get to your point were about the secret Malta meeting. And was it a billion dollars? And could the Saudis have provided essentially the exact same thing that they have right now from the PGA tour with this strategic alliance. And I, I don't know that we're ever going to find out. I mean, it's a good point. You're right. Someone has that. Just email. leak it, man. If you want to categorically deny this and say how false this is and that you're sick of this narrative circulating for the past year plus, and for the Ian Poulter's and the Westwoods and the Sergio Garcia's of the world to keep claiming that you had an opportunity to form a relationship and a partnership with the Saudis and you declined to do so, uh, essentially damaging the European Tour membership, this is the one way to do it. Leak it. Release it. Who cares uh, if it's not your document? That's exactly why you leak stuff. I would agree. It might have some sort of, there might be some sort of confidentiality issue involved here because Lord knows we've run into that over the last few weeks and even on the U.S. side. Like when you talk to players who were in that meeting with Tiger and Rory, they will walk you to an edge and then they won't touch anything beyond that edge. Like there were people player, in that meeting. Told me, a player told me they, that they signed a blood oath. I, I truly believe that. Like I, I've walked to the edge about specifically who was in that meeting because there was someone, there were people other than players in that meeting that probably need to be flushed out. And when I ask multiple players the same name, I get the same response of just sort of a sheepish smile and walk away or, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. Because it's these things, for whatever reason, at some level, the Malta meetings of the world don't get filtered down. Like we hear everything from the multimedia down, not up. There's just it's just such an easy way to get rid of like leak it. Cover your tracks uh and leak it. You well, did not you don't you don't answer the question of what the DP World Tour is gonna look like. No, I think it's going to be a version of the PGA tour. Again, fewer events, bigger purses, get the better players together more often. That's the idea. If you can but they're already committed to these. It's essentially going to be 20 PGA Tour events. It's 13 elevated events, plus the four majors, plus three events they're choosing. That's 20. So now well, you're going and to you would think that the four that they're going to add of that 20 
at least one or two of those are going to be Europe, European events. So, I mean, this goes back to the John Rahm question at East Lake, which was a bad question, an even worse answer. And, and John talked about this yesterday when you look at it. And I, I think what they're going to find a way to integrate the tours better. And they, they have to find a way to integrate the tours better simply because John Rahm's not going to play a whole lot more than 20 events. So if he's going to have to keep his membership in Europe and keep his membership on the PGA Tour, you're going to have to find a way to work that schedule in. I, I don't know exactly so, what it's so going to look like. So you're, so you're talking that we're going to have a schedule, a PGA Tour schedule in 2024. And this is all just hypothetical. This is all just us talking. That you'd have these elevated events, Bay Hill, Memorial, Riviera, stuff like that, yeah. along with BMW PGAs, the Abu Dhabis, the Irish Opens, the Scottish Opens, and that would comprise your 13 elevated events on the PGA Tour, plus the four majors, plus the three FedEx Cup events of a player's own choosing. I don't know if it's going to be four. Four seems like a lot right now. So I think you probably start with one or two. I guess my guess, uh, it would be the Scottish for sure. And then you decide whichever one you want. Like I, I covered the Irish open this year and I know the folks at horizon who sponsor it. It's an American company. It's a U.S. based company. And I mean, their question to me all week long was how do we get a better field? How do we get a better date? So there's motivation. And this goes back to the conversation we had when these elevated events were first sort of thrown out there and you could find a way to rotate them. You could find a way to include Europe. You could find a lot of different things to, to work this in. You still have to figure out how to do a $20 million purse. And that's not easy anywhere. Certainly outside the United States, the tour has learned it's even more difficult. Uh, BMW seems to have some deep pockets uh, with relationships on both uh, the DP World Tour uh, and the PGA Tour. That, that, could, yeah. that could make a lot of sense. That, that rotation, Rex, of including some of these European stops makes more sense to me than, say, elevating Phoenix, which is probably a tournament that a lot of these top players – uh, would have used it would have burned one of their three uh, FedEx Cup events of their choosing uh, to comprise a 20 event schedule or or Canada or Travelers or, or any of those elevating those uh, when the top players were already going to be there uh, when they can instead move this globally uh, seems like a little bit more practical of a uh, solution. Do you want to continue with this Rex or do you want to go into the President's Cup because it was a I mean it was a busy Wednesday. Uh, uh, it was a busy Wednesday. I'm, no, I'm good. I just think, and, and look, a lot of this has gotten beaten to the ground. I mean, the video of Billy Horschel and Ian Poulter certainly has gotten. Wait, so yeah. So let's, so let's circle back on that. You talked to Billy. What's, what's the deal? Break this down. Uh, I didn't talk to Billy. I, I texted him because that's, that's what grownups do these days. And he, he did get back to me and um, let me make sure I don't get this incorrect. I want to make sure. Um, it wasn't heated at all. This is a quote in the text. Just Ian and I talking. We are both very animated talkers. Neither one of us have bad blood towards each other. We have talked every day since I arrived. Ian's been a buddy of mine for decades plus now and will continue to be. So I think whatever it may be. So much to do about nothing. Well, and you and I both have friends that if you tied their hands behind their back, they wouldn't be able to talk, right? I mean, they both are animated talkers. We're, yes, we're yes. very much a pleasure. We're very much aware of, of how both of them talk. And, and I can testify that they, those two guys have been talking, going at it, having conversations every day. And it's, I will say this, as contentious as things are, I, and, and Ian Poulter is not a fan of mine or of golf channels because I'm sure a lot of live golfers probably aren't a fan of the way the golf channel is handling this whole thing. However, but not, us, did, but not us specifically. They're not, they're not mad at golfchannel.com. 
Uh, I would, I would hope not. I would hope, and and he kind of barked at me yesterday. The caddies, the caddies, however, are never a fan of golf. You don't like him no, specifically. Some, uh, some a third, people, a third of our staff. That's right, a third of our staff. Uh, I will say that he, he kind of Ian barked at me yesterday on the range, saying something about I, I saw your report last night, but I didn't listen to it. And my reaction to him was, "Do you hate my voice, or you just didn't want to hear what I say?" Because I can see both sides of that. Like, all right, you, I, I hate my own voice, and I also don't want to hear what I have to say. That's like just, that's like when someone reads the headline but they didn't read the story. Like, yes, what are you yes. what are we doing here? But it and it's interesting because you and I have had this conversation before, and I've said this where he goes, "I, I just don't want to hear any of it right now." And I go, "I get that, and I understand where you're coming from." And I said, "If you had you just turned on the TV, it's just I I won't just want to report the facts." Ryan Labner just wants to report the facts. Like, look, there's there's a lot of people, not just at Golf Channel, but throughout Golf Media, who have an opinion on this, and that's why they get paid. I certainly understand that. I tried to go the other way, and you try not to live your life in an echo chamber, and you try to be as neutral as possible. It's not always easy, but that's what I try. He didn't blame me. He just growled at me and walked away. We report the facts. We provide the fodder, and then social media gobbles it up, and it eats up uh, countless hours uh, on our programming. That's kind of how the, uh, the cycle works. Uh, I'm fine with my role uh, in that involvement. And if, I wanna, if people want to fight each other on social media, if people want to make funnies, uh, more power uh, to them. Rex, on Wednesday, we'll start with the U.S. side because uh, U.S. Uh, President's Cup Captain Davis Love III finalized his team. Uh, to me, there were really no surprises with his six <gasps> picks. They were quite What are you obvious. saying? What are were you saying? Not? I'm saying Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, oh, Max Homa, Billy Horschel, and Cameron Young uh, were all, uh, no doubt about it, going to be picked for this team. I guess the lone drama, Rex, involved in 12th and final pick. Uh, and it went to Kevin Kisner, who uh, 26th ranked player in the world. He was the highest available American uh, per the world ranking. This was a guy who was a 54-hole leader at the 2017 PGA Championship at Quail Hollow. And, oh, yeah, he is also a match play savant. Looked it up uh, while reporting for GolfChannel.com this morning. A 22-7-2 career singles record reached the finals of the WGC match play three of the past four years, won the event in 2019, and lost to uh, now world number one Scotty Scheffler in the championship match this past year what do you think was kiz the right man for this 12th and final spot i'm not doing this do you think he was the right man no i'm not doing this yeah no, i do not all right so you can you asked me the question you wanted me to ask you so was kids the right man no uh he was not he was. I don't, look look i don't i don't hate the pick uh but he's hard to justify right now i mean i mean the match play event i understand it's a different format but this is also a game of form. It doesn't matter how good you are in match play uh, if you're not in top form. And Kevin Kisner has struggled for much of the summer. He's finished better than 20th just once in his past 12 starts. Didn't qualify for the Tour Championship. Uh, finished 39th in the FedEx Cup. So it was a, it was a fine season. Uh, it certainly wasn't a great season. Two players, Rex, who I would have liked to see uh, crack this lineup instead. JT Poston. Uh, a career year on the PGA Tour, uh, advanced the Tour Championship uh, for the first time uh, based on 72-hole scores. Uh, he finished in the top 10 uh, at East Lake. He has uh, five uh, top 15 finishes uh, in the past 
uh, eight starts. And I also thought uh, Sahith Thagala, if uh, the American there team wants to, wants to look towards the future, uh, I think they could do a lot worse than putting uh, Thagala on this team. He nearly won twice this year, Phoenix Open uh, and the Travelers Championship. Davis Love, or excuse me, Dave, Davis Riley was also kind of in that category of guys who if you're, if you're grooming these players for the future, uh, you'd want to give them a little bit of a look. I, I understand the President's Cup is its own animal. They don't like kind of being this test lab, right, for the Ryder Cup. They like, uh, like being a standalone event as it is. Kevin Kisner brings veteran leadership. He's obviously well-liked uh, in the team room. Uh, his match play record speaks for itself. I understand why Davis Love and company went with it, uh, but it certainly wasn't creative or inventive or, 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 or forward think, thinking for that matter. Well, no, and, and you know Davis as well as I do. He was never going to color outside those lines. I mean, you and I had this conversation off mic, and so I knew exactly where you were going on this because you, you wanted Sahith, and it was all I could do to talk you out of writing that column. I think every single day at Eastlake, every single day about you wanted it. to write that thought column. thought about it, and then he continued to play poorly. That's right. And I had to talk you out of it every single day, reminding you that because your, your argument you kept coming with me with is because I would say, well, he's 30th on the points list. You have to pass over a lot of guys to get to him. Well, he only had a year to get there. And then I had to throw it back in your face that, well, technically Davis Riley, who's 28th on that points list, played in fewer events than Sahith. So explain to me how that math works out. So how are you going to pass over Davis Riley to get to Sahith? I have nothing against Sahith. I'm a huge fan of him. I do believe someday he's going to play on one of these teams, but I will use the experience that I had yesterday when I, we all kind of knew that Billy Horschel was finally going to make that first team at 35 years old. And so I kind of got into the side and I talked to him about it. And it was interesting to hear his take that, and you can only do this once you finally qualify for a team after so long. But he admitted that if I got to the end of my career and I didn't make one of these teams, that it would have been a hole in the resume. It, it would have killed you. I mean, it would have bothered you. And I think all of those players that you just named have the exact same motivation. And there's something to be said for the idea that every year you're playing for something. However, however, the Americans here we go. are so heavily favored in this President's Cup. And look, they have an 11-1-1 record in this thing. It's actually triple A. This isn't the minor leagues. The I don't know why you keep going back to this. It has been decimated by defections. If ever you are going to be forward thinking and bring some new guys into the pipeline, get them some experience. If you want to bet on the future, now is the time to trot them out. There is not a significant drop in, in talent or performance from a Kevin Kisner to a Sahith Thagala. Like Kiz is going to be a foursome specialist, just as Sahith was very likely to be a four ball specialist. He's a birdie machine, Kevin Kisner, very accurate driver of the golf ball and one of the best putters on the PJ tour. It's, it's preference. I just personally, if I was captaining this team, would have liked to see them uh, incorporate a guy in his early 20s as opposed to 38. That's all I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the other way. And so I'm just going to pick on a random name here. I'm just throwing this out there. I have nothing personal against Cam Davis whatsoever. But I think Cam Trevor, Davis has played great. I think Trevor should have picked Roy McElroy instead of Cam Davis because as Roy – explained today in his press conference he and trevor had actually talked about this and the idea that hey what if i had one wild card pick that i could pick from anywhere in the world would you be willing to do it 
And Rory's response was 100%. Do you know what my record is at Quail Hollow? He's a three-time winner there. It was, it was actually one of the better parts of the last three days. But uh, no, I'm not, I'm not getting into this with you because I think Kisner is a fine pick. I, I don't know. He is, this. He's, a, he's a fine pick. He's not an inspired pick. You cannot. He is the this, safe pick. He, he's a fine pick. I have no problem whatsoever with this because if you don't automatically qualify for one of these teams, you have zero chance of ever making an argument one way or the other. If you want to qualify, if you want to play on one of these teams, play well enough. Like this is where I will, will fall back on the cliche. Play better. Qualify on your own merits, and that way no one can keep you off that team. And I'll say that to Sahith and anyone else. I do think it could be a potentially uh, important audition for Kevin Kisner. I don't know much about Marco Simone. We're going to see it uh, next week uh, for the Italian Open, uh, and that's live on Golf Channel. Uh, a DP World Tour event with uh, Rory and uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick uh, in the field there. If that is anything like what we saw with the Golf National uh, host of the 2018 Ryder Cup, where Kisner's uh, straight and accurate uh, long game uh, coupled with his sublime putting, uh, he would be a perfect fit for that. So I'm curious to see how Marco Simone looks and how it plays and what we could potentially be looking forward to uh, next fall for the Ryder Cup if Kiz so happens. Uh, to do his match play ninja thing uh, that he is so accustomed to doing. Let's switch gears, Rex, to the international side. And Trevor Immelman was just supposed to have four picks. Instead, he gets six picks because uh, leading points earner Cameron Smith defected to Live Golf, as well as Joaquin Neiman, who also would have been an automatic qualifier. And so with Immelman's six picks, he chose Taylor Pendrith, Christian Bezadenhout, uh, the aforementioned Cam Davis, K.H. Lee, and Sebastian Munoz uh, to go along with Siwoo Kim. Now, five of those six players are going to be first-timers, rookies in the President's Cup. What would you make of Captain Immelman's choices? I don't think he had many choices whatsoever. I I did want to ask. I didn't have a chance to sit in on that conference call because I was doing other things yesterday morning. But but you and I are big fans of Trevor. Uh, He doesn't particularly like you, but we're both big fans of him. I will say – I, I'm, I'm fascinated. What, like, was he defeated? Was he just exasperated? Was it like, all right, with his first pick, was it KH Lee, second pick, Siwoo Kim? Like, is that the way it went down? Was it, was it just complete no. defeat? No, I was, or, no, I was, I was, I was, I was on the call uh, that everyone had uh, following uh, the captain's picks announcements and i've got to, i've got to say rex and i'm not sure that that Immelman really had a choice in this but i'm not sure anyone could have handled this entire situation better than he has because it wasn't just that cam smith and joaquin neiman uh were late defections to live and robbed him of two of these automatic qualifiers it was the fact that he also lost louis tazen carlos ortiz abe answer i i mean this Brendan really grace did- Brandon Grace, like this really could have been a great international President's Cup team. And so Immelman, I think it would have been easy to to blame Liv, to be upset at Liv, to be upset at these players. Uh, But he has not taken that tact uh, whatsoever. He said he was kept uh, in the loop completely by these players. Uh, The players knew uh, that they were going to be ineligible for the competition. That weighed into their decision-making process. Uh, and, and he really didn't get upset. Was he frustrated? Certainly. Was he disappointed? Uh, uh, of course. Uh, but Immelman seemed to strike all the right tones while speaking to us 
uh, on Tuesday. They had a two-day retreat at Quail Hollow Fawn, the tour championship. And look, he they're kind of embracing this underdog mentality, right? No one's going to give really? him a chance Shocking. to win. The world ranking disparity uh, is enormous. He called the Americans uh, one of the best teams ever assembled. I don't think he has a choice but to adopt that sort of mentality and look at this as optimistically uh, as he can. They're, they're, they're hungry. They want to prove uh, that they're capable and competitive. Um, so I was just kind of struck. I, I was struck by, by Immelman because he was clearly put uh, in a very difficult position. I, and I thought, I thought he has handled it well. I'd love to see that before and after. But when he's first named captain, like just the joy and everything that goes into that, like I can't wait to do this. And, and I mean, they're exciting. coming, they're coming off, they're coming off 2019 at Royal Melbourne. They yeah. had the lead going into Sunday singles. It, you know, like Ernie Tiger, Els created something special. Yeah. Uh, created- on the final day to make it close. And now fast forward and it's whatever, Tuesday night last week. And he's sitting, I can only imagine in a very, very plush office in, in Isleworth, probably wearing a green jacket and you know, with a lot of trophies behind him, just sipping on a bourbon, just shaking his head sad. Like, how did I end up here? How did this happen? Like, what, what, what happened? So when you look at his picks, Rick, <laughs> and so we've got, to, we've got to look at this thing in its entirety. Let's, let's focus on the Actually, picks. I don't mind the picks. To, to get back to your original question, like I, I connected some dots. Like Taylor Pendrith, I think is is probably a pretty good pick. He Corey Connors, who, who probably was an I, I think I think Taylor Pendrith absolutely had to be picked. Yeah, the way that he like, is their played, best friends, the Canadians, the they were played, in each other's wedding. Yeah. Oh my gosh, coming off of uh, I believe it was a rib injury, which sidelined him uh, for four months. All he has done since then uh, is post seven top uh, fifteen finishes in eight stars. You look at Bazaden, who like he finished second uh, to the aforementioned JT Poston. JT Poston winner. Uh, of the John Deere Classic. I, I, I mean, KH Lee won earlier this year uh, at the Nelson. The only player, Rex, who I thought was snubbed was Ryan Fox. And you kind of touted him on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago. He's flashed at times in the DP World Tour, a big hitting player uh, from New Zealand. I thought his game would have really matched up well with Quail Hollow. And instead, uh, Immelman went with Sebastian Munoz, who, who really has not been uh, in great form over the past several months. So that was a player who I don't know if he didn't have enough scouting tape on Ryan Fox. Uh, if he sees something uh, in Sebastian Munoz's game that perhaps isn't as apparent to us, maybe he's just looking strictly at matchups and he has ready-made matchups ready for Munoz. But that was the only thing that I could potentially quibble with. Otherwise, I thought uh, there were some uh, pretty crafty picks, especially that that Pendrith pick. It may have actually, been obvious to the outset, but I think he was 18th in points. I was actually surprised at the pushback today when people heard that Ryan Fox wasn't picked, like in the in the media center here. I mean, on the European tour, Ryan Fox is a staple and he's a stud. So I think a lot of people thought that, yeah, he'd be an obvious choice. And this was an opportunity for Trevor to to maybe do something different. I mean, obviously, given the hand he's been dealt, it's not great. However, you and I, I think, had this conversation two weeks ago on the podcast where the team that he had hasn't really done all that great anyway. So maybe mixing things up and bringing in some other players and bringing in some new faces, it it can only help. Like, I I don't know how it gets any worse than Liberty National a few years ago where the thing was almost over on Saturdays because the Internationals played so bad and the U.S. team played so well. So I, I don't know exactly what Trevor's plan was. I mean, once everything sort of unraveled, I'm sure he knew Cam was going 
I'm sure he knew Joaquin was going. I'm sure he knew Mark Leishman was going. So he had a plan in place. But again, I, I don't know. His best bet was to have Rory come over and play. What do you think? What do you think this outcome is going to be? And you and I are both going to be uh, at Quell Hollow in in two weeks' time. You look at the international team. I mean, it's not like they're completely bereft of talent. You have Hideki Matsuyama. You have Sung J.M. who nearly won the FedEx Cup. Uh, Tom Kim has certainly been a revelation over these past couple of months. Corey Connors uh, is a a world-class player. Adam Scott has really uh, picked up his game uh, over the past uh, couple of months. In particular, had a very strong FedEx Cup playoff run. Amito Pereira uh, nearly won a major championship this year. Where do you think this is? What do you what do you think the International Presidents Cup team is capable of? I'll put it that way. I think they're capable of keeping it close. It would probably be the best captaining job in the history of the Presidents Cup, maybe in the history of every cup, if he's able to at least keep it close going into Sunday. Because you're right. I mean, we're going to sit here and run them down, and, and we're going to do the math and figure out what the world ranking differential is, and all of those things are going to scream the U.S. side. However. 18 holes of match play. We, we say this every single time. Every year we show up in Austin and it's well, anything can happen over 18 holes of match play. Now it gets a little different when you have a, a teammate next to you and it gets a little different all, all of a sudden when you're playing alternate shot. However, I think maybe they could get lucky and they could come out and they could find some good pairings and they have some young players that have shown some form. So if he could find two or three pairings, which is what they've done in the past, that sort of carry them, and at least give them a chance on Sunday, that would be a victory in my mind. Four, uh, five years ago, excuse me, uh, with the pandemic uh, delaying it, a year at Liberty National, it was 1911, uh, the U.S. Do you think we're looking at that? Or do you think we're looking at closer to, I mean, it was 1614 last time. It was, you know, we're not all that far removed from an 18 and a half to 15 and a half, so a three-point margin of victory. What do you think? I mean, we're talking three points. We're talking five points. We're talking eight points. I think 19 to 11 is probably, it's going to be closer to that. Oh, my. Just an absolute shellacking. Well, yeah. The golf course is going to be set up for the U.S. side. The U.S. side has some built-in pairings that you're just not going to blink over. Like, I mean, you're going to put JT and Jordan together. That's very, very easy. You're going to put Xander and you're going to put Patrick Cantlay together. It's going to be very, very easy. So once you get three or maybe even four of these set pairings, Davis Love's not going to have to think too far outside the box. Like I, I read some of his comments today about Tiger keeps sending him pairings. Well, what is he overthinking here? Like it, there's only so many combinations and it's not as though you're going to start mixing these guys up because they've been successful. What they did last year at Whistling Straight speaks for itself. That might've been one of the best American teams, at least of, of my career covering those cups. 19 to nine. Uh, what was that? 19 11 nine. months ago uh, that the U S uh, throttled a historic victory uh, over the Europeans. And this is it's such a different animal too, Rex, with this American team. And, and Davis Love III in his uh, conference call today, he was asked, like, how do you guard against complacency? This is not a group. When you look at the 12 team members on Team USA, they do not strike me as uh, complacent or nonchalant or they're just going to kind of stroll into quail hollow and see how it goes how maybe some of these cup teams have been in the past like they want to make history they want to embarrass the internationals they could care less uh, about how hard hit they have uh, been with lived affections like they're not they don't they, they might empathize with them 
but they're not going to take out their sympathies when they get uh, onto the golf course. Like they want to have the most historic lopsided defeat uh, ever. That's how these guys are built. And I think that's a Justin Thomas trait. That's a Jordan Spieth trait. Uh, and that kind of permeates throughout uh, that entire uh, U.S. team room uh, to kind of step on their throats just as they did uh, last fall. I, I, I'm with you. We're probably looking closer uh, to a five, six, seven point margin of victory. Uh, but it also wouldn't surprise me if the internationals were able to keep it close enough. Uh, and, and I really do think uh, that a successful week for the internationals would be like a two or three point loss uh, on Sunday. I, yeah, think, I, I think given, given the talent disparity, given that, given what Immelman, the sort of turmoil that they've had to endure uh, over these past couple of weeks uh, in particular, uh, I think that would be a strong outcome. Nevertheless, uh, you and I are very much looking forward uh, to covering that uh, in two weeks time. Uh, there are a couple of things, Rex, that I wanted to button up uh, before the end of the pod. Normally uh, we would do what's on the grill, but since you're overseas uh, eating some gray steaks, uh, I don't really care. Uh, I will, however, tell you that I'm having ribs for the NFL kickoff game. Uh, we'll also probably have some pulled nice. pork on the weekend. Uh, Cam's first flag football game uh, is on Saturday, so that'll be uh, very enjoyable. Uh, your wife, uh, Dion's 50th birthday, uh, is Thursday. Uh, and, of course, you volunteered to cover this trip uh, overseas no, and, thus no, miss, no. and thus miss her birthday. How did you possibly screw this one up so badly? Uh, didn't volunteer, was asked, actually threw it out there two weeks ago to, to the bosses that be like, hey, just so you know, like this is going to be a big event. It's going to be live players. That sounds like you're volunteering. No, no. I just wanted to get it on their radar. So if you need me, let me know. And of course, you, I got the phone call. You don't, think our, you don't think our golf channel bosses were aware that the, Europe, that the DP World Tour's flagship event in which 18 live mm-hmm. members were going to be playing against some of Do the you best think they were in the world? Do you think they were? Do you think that they were caught unaware by this? Uh, I think maybe the the gravity of what's going on this week might have might have not registered two weeks ago. I was just trying to put it on the radar, and so I didn't hear back for over a week. It wasn't until last Thursday that I got the phone call that got to be on a flight Sunday night, sitting next to Jay Monahan. Very uncomfortable situation. Thus, thus missing, missing my wife's birthday, your fiftieth uh, birthday, your lovely, your hilarious. Your great company wife's 50th milestone birthday, a milestone birthday. You only turned 50 once. How did she handle it? Not well. Tell us. No, no, not well at all. Uh, But I did. I I will say this. I've never actually sent my wife flowers like through the mail because that's just not something we do. So she she will be getting flowers tomorrow morning. And I did book her a room at the Ritz up at Amelia Island up in your neck of the woods for the next. Oh, is she going to stop by? Yeah, no, I'll tell it to stop by. And you we're, can only, we're only we're only we're only ten minutes off. Uh, only ten minutes off ninety five. If she just had yeah, so straight, her and some girlfriends are going up. I would, I would love to rest. see her on her birthday, even though you were uh, abandoning her. I'd love uh, I'd love nothing more. Yeah, so Marriott points. So all of her girlfriends are staying in a suite up at the Ritz on me with flowers. I, I don't know what else I could possibly do. What else should I possibly do? Uh, folks, make sure you head into Rex's DMs and tell him before this podcast posts what he could possibly do. I am missing my wife's 35th birthday uh, to cover the President's Cup. And so oh, no. if, if you don't uh, mind sharing a couple ideas for, uh, for me, uh, that'd be great uh, as well, Rex. And uh, finally, uh, how did your fantasy football draft uh, go? I know that was uh, quite a tease that we left uh, our listeners with last week. The one you weren't invited to be a member of? Mm-hmm. Is that the one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that still mm-hmm. leaves a mark, doesn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. I actually did pretty well. I sent you the team this morning. I had some issues with some players early in the season, but I, I think it'll work out. No one wants to hear about my fantasy football team, but I'm confident. The bigger issue is I'm commissioner. You drafted Chris Godwin, who has a shred of a knee remaining. Yeah. Uh, but sure. But I got him very, very late. I got him very late. I I think I got him in the seventh or eighth round. Like I knew what I was. Which is terrific, but you don't have you don't have a suitable replacement for him. Uh, No, I went heavy on running backs and wide receivers. Uh, I'm sorry, I went heavy on running backs and tight ends this year. Which, of course, is foolish. I believe you drafted Kyle Pitts, did you not? Uh, I did. Yes. Yes. So there's no there is no scenario in which you would be subbing out Kyle Pitts for someone else, barring barring injury. You do not need. You do not need more tight ends because you have Kyle Pitts, who uh, oh, is a top but three no, tight I, end. I got him for draft purposes. I mean, I got him for trade purposes. Like I knew, I watched how last year sort of transpired. It, and trust me, I, I'm in a league with a bunch of my sons and my son's friends, and they get very, very desperate towards the end of the year because if you lose our league, the punishment's very bad. So you need to flip. Uh, I believe you drafted Darren Waller. Yes. Uh, Star uh, tight end. Uh, for the Vegas Raiders, you need to flip him for a wide receiver one. I need a wide receiver. Wide re- a wide receiver two. Uh, I would do that imminently uh, because no one's value is as high as it is uh, right. in preseason because there's been no football. There has been no other injuries uh, that we can be aware of. Uh, I'm sure I'll be hearing about some of these trade proposals. I would target DJ Moore if I were you, uh, an absolute target monster. Uh, he falls right in that category that you could get uh, for Darren Waller. Uh, and be very, very satisfied. The NFL season does kick off uh, on Thursday on NBC, our parent company. I'll be tuning in hey, uh, for that. You. you won't. You will be sound asleep. Uh, but I can tell I you how the game goes uh, between the Bills and the Rams. But thank you guys for listening to this jam-packed edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. But I'm hoping, folks, I'm hoping that there is a brand new set of irons uh, with 85 gram regular shafts uh, sitting on my doorstep. Happy 50th, Bunkmate.